Realty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your Minister of Truth, Ryan. Today we'll talk about the comeback of women, more recessionary indicators, and finish up with something that will uplift your spirits. Next, on Living with Liberty. the left has gone from the gender identity of women of a woman being a social construct to now needing to once again protect women's rights. All it has taken is uh, to put that pesky abortion law on the chopping block. Not only that, now things like civil rights and gay marriage will be overturned if you listen to them. And if we wait long enough, we might even reinstate Jim Crow laws. Now, the left, once again, is throwing a massive temper tantrum over the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I say possible at this point. It was, a, after all, a draft opinion that was leaked from the Supreme Court. So, once again, even even over a, a leaked opinion, draft opinion, that, yeah, you know nobody on the left bothered to read this thing. It just said, yeah, we, we might throw Roe v. Wade out. So here comes the massive temper tantrum and, you know, over something that any sane legal scholar and constitutionalist will tell you was instituted on the flimsiest of case law to begin with. That is their default setting, though. Instead of articulating their position intelligently, instead of giving facts as to why they believe what they believe, the rage robots on the left call in the professional protesters, insert the protesting about abortion being overturned chip, use social media to intimidate and basically call for an insurrection, and then go on TikTok and scream into the camera about how everyone is a fascist and women's rights are being taken away. All of this, like I said, instead of bringing any sort of factual argument to the conversation on how women are losing their rights, They sit back and try to shut down any dialogue by calling you names, insulting you, attempting to peddle fear porn. They're coming for your civil rights next. Or just mindlessly screaming the same thing over and over at you. Imagine living your life in this type of brain-neutral position day after day. Boy, it would get tiring. Sometimes I wonder how... It's a good thing breathing's an automated uh, automated function of life. Otherwise, if they had to do this on their own, I doubt they'd remember to breathe half of them. I mean, come really? Let's be real here. I just brain neutral day after day. Let's not look at any facts or anything. Now, th- this is also uh, the same crowd, if you will remember, that it was... My body, my choice. They were all about my body, my choice. But then, along comes a pandemic, along comes COVID, and now it's, you know, that same crowd was your body, my choice when it came to taking the therapeutic jab. And 
it's the same crowd that continues to peddle the idea that men can get pregnant. Even though they've figured out, yeah, we might have figured out at this point, left here, they might have figured out what, what is a woman? Yeah, their rights need to be protected. They're going to take something away. But yeah, men still can get pregnant. Obviously, these are not serious people, and they've lost any credibility they have by uh, switching from men can get pregnant to we don't want women to get pregnant, so we need abortion. Not serious people. We should not take anything into account as to any sort of, of policy position they might propose. I, you can't take it seriously at this point. They can't pick a position. Are we, men can get pregnant and women can't? Are we, men are women, women are men? Like, here, uh, my body, my choice, except, except when there's a pandemic that might kill me, then your body, my choice. I tell you what to do. Not serious people. We can't. We have to continue to push back on them. Now, just just to just to um, maybe belabor this point a little bit, but also I think illustrate the point of how out of touch these people are. Particularly when you go up the ranks in terms of uh, of how famous they are. I've got a news clip from uh, a clip from Newsbusters here. Uh, one of the cackling witches on The View, just to illustrate how much of a meltdown this is causing. I mean, you've got Whoopi Goldberg going nuts, Joy Behar uh, just peddling the, the fear porn again about, you know, first it's abortion rights, and then it's going to be your civil rights. Uh, th these, these people are ridiculous. Here's the clip. Turn this country into the handmaid's tale. You and I were talking before. Yeah. We're not surprised. We saw this coming. My worry is that this is just the beginning. Next, they'll go after gay marriage, and and maybe maybe uh, uh, the board, the what is it, Brown versus Board of Education. Yeah. They already eroded our voting rights a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So I see some. I see fascism down the line here. Yeah. I don't know. Now here's the thing: these buffoons either don't know or they withhold from you, I would go, in the case of the view, they probably don't know. They don't strike me as the brightest crayons in the box here. Abortion is still going to be around. Unfortunately, overturning Roe v. Wade is not going to fully ban abortion. But none of the yapping chihuahuas in the media or the Democrat Party We'll bother to tell you that, nor have they bothered to read the leaked opinion. And if they did, if they did, maybe some of them did, they sure aren't going to report on what it actually says. And what it actually says is that there's no constitutional provision for abortion, which means there cannot be a federal law in that it is a right, a right by the Tenth Amendment reserved for the states. That's what these yapping chihuahuas won't tell you. Again, because I think most of them don't know. There's some that know, and uh, they're just lying by omission. I would venture a guess, based on the polls we've seen, most of them don't know. Now, the first inclination as soon as this leaked opinion came out, was we need to immediately rush out and make as big a scene as possible because we are getting our asses kicked in the polls and this, this is maybe a way to mobilize some support and maybe make it not as bad. That's the thinking of the Democrats and the left and the professional protester class out there. What the immediate reaction to the leaked SCOTUS opinion really shows is how mindless we have become, both right and left. Let's be honest here. I've had some great discussions in my discussion group that we, we have, a, a few listeners, friends, um, that we banter some of this uh, these policies and ideas back and forth. There's been very much thoughtful consideration there within our group. Those are the people we need to be talking about. There's others, though. This leaked opinion just, it shows how mindless we have become, right and left, when it comes to the media and what is reported. We don't take a beat to go and read the document. 
which we should, because the media is utterly useless at this point in terms of disseminating any sort of useful information. That goes for our politicians, too, both of them. Utterly useless when it comes to giving us information, when it comes to transparency. There's just an immediate reaction and the rush to start the narrative that rights are being lost, that first it's abortion, next it'll be civil rights, and before you know it, we're back to separated water fountains, separated uh, diner counters, and, and Jim Crow. And then I'm sure it'll tumble beyond that because this, the, the, the left has all of a sudden seen that women are, can be used as a political pawn again, and now we're back to, we're taking away women's voter rights, and it's back to uh, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. I, these people are just ridiculous. We just have immediate reactions instead of going and looking up the information for ourselves. And then there's the immediate rush to snowball it into other false claims of boogeymen coming for other rights, as I just outlined. The left's immediate reaction is to generate fear of these other lost rights and other things that may be lost. If And if you really stop to think about it and think about it rationally for a second, there would be no reason to expect that that would be the case because those other things are built on solid foundation, solid law, and there's constitutional provisions for them. The overturning of Roe v. Wade only removes it from the federal law books. It removes it as law of the land, if you will, and it kicks it to the state's for the states to decide what they want to allow, where it should be. Again, no constitutional provision means that is a right reserved for the states. They can handle it as they please. And how the people in that state want to handle it. That is how our country is set up. That is how the Constitution is written. If a woman really wants an abortion, they will still be able to go and get one somewhere in this country. I mean, just pick a left coast state. You've got Illinois, which there's already been talk. I mean, Minnesota, too. I live in Wisconsin. Even Minnesota, there's already talk. I've already seen articles about uh, abortion clinics being set up on the borders. In New York, I mean, throw New York in there, picking, you know, another East Coast state, Massachusetts, probably, Vermont. There, There will be no shortage if someone really wants an abortion, There'll be no shortage of where to get one, unfortunately. Unfortunately, there will still be options out there for those that want an abortion, that are seeking an abortion. Those options still will will exist. The only thing is, is it's now kicked to the states instead of a federal federal law. That's the only difference here. Is it a step in the right direction? Yes. Are we going to have a ton of states that will... Uh, just outright ban abortion? Yes. But unfortunately, there will still be abortion uh, abortion uh, clinics available for those seeking it. And that's the lies. That's the lies by omission that the left, the media, the Democrats won't tell you that it's not taking it away. There's no right being taken away. There will still be states that will offer it. Whatever platform you are catching the show on today, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, we've just added YouTube, so we're out on YouTube now. If, if that's your preferred uh, preferred method of watching the show, we're out there now. Uh, just set that up uh, earlier this week. Uh, also available wherever you've been listening on the audio version. Rumble's uh, the place to be, though. I, free speech platform, I know. Uh, my chances of being censored there are virtually nil compared to some of the other platforms we're on. So that's the preferred. But hey, if you like YouTube, I'm out there as well. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you'll get notified when new shows are available. Also, if you're enjoying today's show, please give it a five-star review. And if you can't give it a five-star review for whatever reason, don't be like that one uh, that one lone wolf out there on Apple Podcasts who just threw a one star out there, didn't even leave any any um, message or anything, go ahead, send me an email, ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. I'll read that less than five star review on the show. I may make fun of myself. I may make fun of you when you send it in. We'll see how it goes. All right. Last show, I covered a leading indicator that I look at personally. 
in uh, the, the leading indicator of a recession, and that was the freight market. Now, if we look at the broader economy, there are more signs that we are indeed descending into a recession. We may already be there. Like I said, generally, it's a couple quarters of negative growth that, that typically tri trigger a recession, uh, a call on we're in a recession. Um, depending where you look, it's some. It's a few months of of uh, decline, but GDP numbers typically don't come out but once a quarter. Uh, so I kind of look at that as the metric. But there are other other indicators you can look. So let's take a look at uh, uh, this chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average it's year to date. So we came into the year on an all time high. Since then, it has been all downhill in the stock market. Now. It'd be fair, March did see a gain for the month, which if if you're if we were in March or when we were in March, it could have been seen as a bit of a market correction. I mean, we were down January, down February, and then you know maybe we thought, okay, January, February, that was a market correction. March is is heading back up, but as soon as we hit April, the downward trend started once again, and it has continued here into May. Now, as the news came of the quarter one negative GDP, the market continued with its slide. It seemed to increase as, as that news came out in late April. It seemed to, to increase the, the downward trend a bit. So April, we ended up down almost 5%. And May is about net even for uh, the first few days into the month. We had a couple days of gains and then a big big loss yesterday. Uh, that kind of wiped out every gain we saw in May. So it, it makes me make me think it's it's part of a broader trend. If you look at the chart, we are we are indeed on. You can tell that we have been indeed on a downward trend. Even you know even with that gain in March, it started right back down as soon as we headed into April here. Now with the threat of a large increase looming, and that's that's uh, the federal. Um, in uh, federal interest rate here, the, the federal funds rate, the market's only going to continue to decline. And as much as Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, says that there won't be a large increase, but rather a gradual increase, that won't matter much to the market. An increase is an increase. Now, where, where it comes and when it comes can make a little bit of a difference, but the market knows it's coming at this point. As I went over in the last show, we we're seeing the freight market soften. Now, the other piece to this here is even if they were going to do a large increase, if, if they were going to do a large increase to the interest rates, Powell would not come out and say, yes, we are considering a large rate hike. That would just send the market into a panic. So he's not going to do that. Even if they are considering it, even as much as he's trying to assuage, they aren't going to even consider it's not even a, a consideration on the table the markets I, I don't think are going to buy it at this point i mean you look at it jerome powell and the fed are trying to sell a soft landing here that we you know we're the uh, elites we know what we're doing we're going to make this a soft landing we're not going to raise rates uh it, in, in any sort of uh, large fashion at all. It's going to be gradual. With the rampant inflation we've experienced, we are not in for a soft landing. I don't care what the Fed does at this point, there's going to be no soft landing. We are in need of a, of a large hike. We need a large hike in interest rates in order to quickly gain control of the inflation. There's just too much money out there. And what that means, it means we're in for a hard landing. It's likely our reality, given the amount that we've uh, printed over the last couple of years, a hard landing is our likely reality. We have gotten into this mindset that we just want to, uh, just want to be comfortable. We want everything rainbows and unicorns. So yeah, it's a soft landing. I don't believe a thing any of these liars in our government tells us at this point. And you go back and look, I've proven them wrong time and time again. I've been saying for over a year now that we're in for a recession. I, I think it was maybe last a show last fall or last summer that I predicted by this summer, you know, we would see the beginnings of a recession. And here we are. I said 
over a year. I've been saying go refinance your your uh if you've got long-term debt like a mortgage, go refinance it. Because rates are only going to go up. It's not just the stock market that's showing the signs at this point. The mortgage market is starting to show the signs and effects of the rates increasing by uh, from the federal funds rate and in just overall inflation. A year ago, the average mortgage rate was just under 3%. Within rounding, if you round it, it was like 2.96. So it was 3% if you're rounding to whole numbers. Just under for a 30-year fixed mortgage. Today, one year later, that rate stands at an average of 5.3%. And that's a rate that we haven't seen since 2009. And we all know what happened in 2009 to cause those interest rates to go up to over 5%. So what does this all mean then? Rates are going up great. It means that housing is becoming less affordable, that those buying a house today will not be able to afford as much house as they would have a year ago, just a year ago. Yes, there's inflation, but that that's just affecting the price. You can still afford a, enough, enough house if the interest rates are low enough, but now they're creeping up too. So what's that mean? That means housing is becoming less affordable. Those that were thinking about buying a house or Really, you think about how hot the housing market has been, that they're not able to buy a house. They haven't been able to because the houses sell as fast as they come on the market. They're not going to be able to buy a house or as much house if there's a house available for them. So housing's becoming less affordable. It means that those who have taken out adjustable rate jumbo mortgages, those are the ones where you take out a, it's their two or three year loans with adjustable rate mortgages uh, that you'll never pay off, but it allows you to buy even more house than what you can really afford based on your income. Uh, just because the, the interest rate's ultra low and people typically will say, okay, after that two or three year rate um, mortgage, if you will, they'll, they'll lock it in at a 15 or a 30 year then. So people have taken those mortgages out are going to find themselves in the same predicament as those who had those same loan types in 2008, 2009, when the, when the market just totally crashed. Foreclosures will go up. Housing, again, will crash, maybe not to the extent of 2008, but there will be a relative crash in housing. And the one thing we can bet on is when the recession hits and we see the various segments of the economy correcting itself, because that's what it will be. It will be a correction of the past two years of bad decisions. The, we'll see this, and we'll see the, the recession hit and, and people losing their homes and everything that goes with the recession. The economic lightweights in the District of Corruption will want to print more money for stimulus to try and revive the economy. But you can't. It would be a correction of all the bad decisions made over the last couple of years, of just the printing of trillions and trillions of dollars. That is what this recession will be about. Now, you'll want to see, uh, or we will see, that these economic lightweights will want to print more money for stimulus, especially especially if it is a sudden hard crash right before the election. See, this becomes a political at this point. As soon as the quarter two numbers come out, and I'm fully expecting them to come out, it'll be sometime in July would be my guess. I'm fully expecting them to come out and we'll see our second quarter of negative growth. And then uh, the the politics of the economy will kick in. You'll hear talk of we need to print more money, we need stimulus, we need to get cash in people's hands to revive the economy because the Democrats cause us. Don't ever forget we're in this predicament today because of Joe Biden's policies. To be fair, back it up. The Trump administration and the Republicans that were in control of the House and Senate before the 2020 election also printed up a bunch of money. But we didn't see the rampant, massive inflation 
until Joe Biden and that, and, and that this whole debacle of administration and the Democrats in Congress start in trying to enact their policies. So we'll see a sudden hard crash right before the election. It'll go political. And then these dopes will want to print more money to give to the people to try and revive the economy, to try and revive their uh, political fortunes, really. We must not let them print more money for stimulus. We need to be in the ears of Democrat and Republican official alike telling them, do not print some more money. Do not print more money. Don't do it. Because doing so would perpetuate the issues that we've seen over the last year plus with the inflation increasing month after month. Oh, it's transitory inflation. Uh, No, and I said that too. I said this after you know, two, three months of it, it's not transitory at this point. We got a real problem because, you know, one, don't worry about it. Two, starting to be a trend. Three is really bad. We are going to have to live with the fact that we are going to have a hard landing. We're going to have some hard times and that it may be relatively long-lasting. In this day and age of instant gratification and immediate anything and everything, Two days is long-lasting, it seems, sometimes. We have to remember that it took the Reagan administration, what, like three years to get inflation under control? Three years. We're in the same boat here. We have inflation that has not yet peaked. It's gone up month after month after month. We have just more pork spending on the table that these, like I said, these economic lightweights don't even realize what they're doing. Just spend the money, just print it. We're in the same boat here. We're looking at probably a few years to gain, uh, to, to get inflation under control, to gain, you know, get back to where we were with, you know, relatively targeted inflation and, and decent prices again. This won't be a quick solve. We are going to have to be prepared for an uncomfortable few years here. We are going to have to learn from it. I say, but we, yeah, I think we, we have to be more active, especially when it comes to fiscal responsibility at both state, federal level. Um, we have to learn from what's going on here that we can't just print our way out of a, out of a recession. We can't just keep printing money. We're going to have to demand better from our elected officials in terms of monetary policy. They are going to need to hear from us. So as soon as that call comes for stimulus to combat a recession, we need to be in our officials' ears saying, no, we're not going to do it. The elites of our society, and I use the term elites loosely because, honestly, they are flesh and bone like the rest of us. There's nothing that really makes them any more special than you or I. Those elites hate us, but you already know that. They don't understand our way of life because they live in their little bubble. They don't care really what goes on except when it comes to election time. There's a few good ones out there. Don't get me wrong. We have, we have a number of good elected officials who care, who you see, who who, who uh, communicate with you. By and large, though, it's obviously as a group, I hate to say that, but as a group, they hate us. They don't understand. They They don't like God. They don't like guns. They want us killing our babies. They hate us, but you already know that. You guys are smart. You already know that. But here, here's what it, what it, the point of this. It just goes to reinforce why we need term limits and why we need to get back to regular Joes and Janes in our government. What if we got back to the idea that our founders had when they created our government? That people would serve their term, maybe a couple terms, and then return to their life. Whatever that may have been, and, and back when our, our government was set up, you had businessmen, you had farmers, you had 
educators, you had poor, you had rich that all sat in that room at Liberty Hall in Philadelphia and hammered out our Constitution, that hammered out the Declaration of Independence before that. And their idea was that people weren't going to make a career out of sitting in Washington, D.C. The idea here wasn't to have career politicians. It was to have people actually serve in a government that was by the people, for the people. That was The idea was to have people do their civic duty, go back to their life. What if we got back to that vision of Congress only meeting once or twice a year? Back then, Congress only met uh, once a year, maybe twice a year. Because people had to get back to their farms. They had to get back to their life. They had to get back to their businesses they ran. So what if we got back to that? What if our officials, our elected officials, congressional officials, senators, met only once or twice a year, and the rest of the time was spent actually back in their home districts, their home states, interacting with people, interacting with the people that are their boss, that they represent? What if they spent that time actually hearing from the people more often than they do today? Our elected officials should be more uh, in their districts, in their home states, more instead of spending most of their time in the D.C. swamp getting schmoozed by lobbyists and special interest groups. What if we term-limited Congress members and senators? Being an elected official was never meant to be a career, nor was it meant that they would basically live in Washington, D.C., and that's where they live. Some, you know, they sometimes come home on the weekends. Sometimes they'll fly in here or there for a town hall, but then they're right back to D.C. How do you understand what the people are facing, what the people want, if you're spending all your time in the the bubble of D.C.? And D.C. was never meant to be a residential city anyway. It was only set up to be the seat of the federal government yet it has a population of over 700,000. It was to be no more than 10 square miles to house the federal buildings, to house the federal government. That's constitutionally provisioned. And somehow it's 50-some-odd square miles, almost 60, maybe almost 70. I, I did a show on it once, I don't remember. But it's more than 10 square miles, the city limits of Washington, D.C., What happens if everyday people, who are the vast majority of the population, by the way, we get get run out by the the 1%. How are we letting these morons run our life? They don't know anything about our life, yet we let them just have their way. We, We get mesmerized by their silver tongue. What happens if everyday people, stood up and said, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to run for a term in Congress or the Senate or whatever local or state office and then go back to my life. Maybe two terms, right? Maybe we have some, you definitely want term limits there. But what if everyday people took their turn? If we elected more everyday people and then got back to this idea of not having career politicians, We would have a government that actually understood the plight of everyday Americans. We would have a government that people could relate to, that people felt was doing things in the best interest of them. We would have elected officials who are more attuned to what was going on with the people than we do today, as they would be spending more time on the ground spending more time within those with those that elected them, seeing what is actually going on in the community, how people's lives are being affected, and listening to ideas of everyday Americans who experience it and have ideas how to fix it, or they would actually have ideas on how to fix it themselves. Now, I know this is a bit idealistic, and I'm sure at this point you have a thousand whatabouts, and how would that work? But put that aside for a minute. Think about it in terms of building a government of everyday people, building a base, rebuilding our government, 
of everyday people who were term limited and only met in full once or twice a year. The rest of the time was spent in their home districts and states. Maybe, maybe going back to what they did or doing what they were doing when elected, right? They spent some time running their business. Why do we have to have legislators, senators, Congress people that make more than just about every American? Why do we have to? Why do these people need $170,000 a year? The Speaker of the House is 220 some thousand. I'm sure the Senate, um, the uh, majority leader in the Senate is probably over 200,000 as well a year. Why? Why? These people are already millionaires when they get to Congress. Why do we have to pay them so much? Why is that a full-time job? It's not. So what if we got back to that? What if we got back to everyday people who understood us, middle class, poor, whatever, who were term limited, met once or twice a year, and the rest of the time was spent at home? We would be better off. There's no question in my mind we would be better off as a country. There wouldn't be this feeling of I am untouchable on the part of our elected officials. They'd have less of a a, um, a monarchy complex here. There'd be less of uh, this air of aristocracy about them. It would be everyday people. You and I, people we can relate to. That would be our elected officials. There wouldn't be then, if you term limit these folks, there wouldn't be the ability to build these massive political machines that kept any challenger out of the running for office and kept the corruptocrat in office for decades. We would see corruption decline because by being in district most of the time, your constituency would be the ones in the ear of the representative the most not the special interest groups and corporate donors in the bubble of Washington, D.C. Now, since that would be utopia, we'd have to build a base. Like I said, I'm sure you have a ton of what-ifs and what-abouts, and how do we do that? You know what? Send me an email. Send me, the, send me an email and tell, tell me your questions. I, I think it'd be interesting if we kind of hash some of those out on the show here. So Ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Send them there. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I admit, this is utopia. It's idealistic. We don't have a reasonable chance of getting there. We can rebuild our government. That I do believe. But getting away from this idea of the full-time legislators with all the benefits and making more money than, uh, you know, probably 95% of Americans, it, we're, getting there is a tough, tough ask. Now, instead of, of that, I would take getting back to the branches of government being put back into their constitutional boxes and adding term limits. And as I've mentioned on the show before, age limits. Now, I've heard the argument against term limits. It's like, well, okay, we can term limit them, but then they just go and, and, uh, you know, run for another office and probably make it based on name recognition, whatever. That that you're, that just shows that you're not thinking through this. Let's think through it. Let's think about what we want to do. I would propose that we have a term limit amendment. It would be a constitutional amendment we'd need to impose term limits. It would have to be written in such a way that it didn't allow these leeches to keep bouncing around government forever to keep bouncing from federal level to state level, the local level back to federal. No, you, you maybe get a, a turn in the state. Maybe you get a turn in, in the federal government and that's it. I, I don't want you hanging around for 40 years. Our government wasn't meant to be that. Now let's say for the sake of argument, we set the limits, the term limits on legislators, so House of Representatives. Let's talk federal. I know some states have term limits, uh, so let's just talk federal here. So uh, Congress members, House of Representatives, let's set their, their term limits to 12 years. So that's uh, six uh, House terms, and then that would be two Senate terms. So House and Senate, you get 12 years. At the end of those terms, that's it. 
you can't then run for the House if you were a senator, and you can't run for the Senate if you were in the House, period. And then each state handles how they want. I mean, if you want these leeches back in your state houses, that's up to the state then at that point. But, you know, let's start at the at the top here at the federal level. where You know, we can work our way back. States do what they want to do then. The exception here, there's there has to be an exception to the no other offices at the federal level rule would be the presidency. So if, if the presidency returned to its constitutional box, it should not have as much influence on, influence on lawmaking as it does today. So yeah, let's, uh, you're a senator, you were a senator, you're term limited out. Okay, seek the presidency, that, that's fine. That's the only exception though. You can't go from the Senate to the House and now you're talking about you know, having 24 years in, in, in uh, government, that's, that, that's a career. That's, it shouldn't be a career. Now, getting the presidency, the office of the president, or president back to its constitutional box, it would be more focused on the execution of the laws passed by the legislators and the execution of the government agencies as a whole. It wouldn't be in involved in lawmaking. It shouldn't have that much influence on laws. It's not, it's it's the chief executive. Sure, it can set the direction. It can set uh, the office, should be setting the the policy. It should be for, you know, looking at our relationships with the world, right? It should be there. Now, if the, the, these, um, term-limited elected officials want to have a shot at something else in government that doesn't have any influence on laws that affect you or I. They want to have a shot and go for an ambassadorship or cabinet member, so be it, fine. I mean, how much, you, you know, I, I guess cabinet member might have some some position of influence, but, you know, they're, again, they're not making law, or they shouldn't be anyway. So it's it's lower risk. They're not leeching. They're not, you know trying to get uh you know get their hooks into whatever and, and dividing the country i would be advocate very strongly that they are not considered for any sort of role within any government agency however no three-letter agencies once you're done serving in office go back to whatever career you had before being elected or if you happen to be selected for an ambassadorship or cabinet position fine you want to go for the presidency fine but no no going into any of the three-letter agencies, these generals and, and vice versa. I talked, it about, I talked about it before, uh, you know, the generals and such going from the Department of Defense to the defense contractors. No, no more of that. Now, what our government has become, it should be a warning to all of us. What we're seeing, it should be a warning. It should be a warning that's going off that says we need to change. We have career politicians, some of whom started out with noble pursuits. I don't disagree with that. Some of them started out wanting to do better. They wanted us to be better. They want our our country to be better. They start out with noble pursuits. Then they get corrupted. They get into the bubbles of Washington, D.C. or state capitals, our state capitals are just as big a swamps as as Washington D.C. So they 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 sit in the bubble. They get corrupted. They become out of touch with reality because they sit in that bubble for decades, schmoozing everybody within that bubble, not talking to the people. So we end up with public servants who do the will of their lobbyist buddies and corporate donors, and who sit in office for decades pushing the same stale ideas and pushing the same ideas that got him elected 30 years ago. Being in the district of corruption bubble more than being at home leads to them listening to the foolishness that gets propagated in said bubble, as opposed to what the people who actually elected them want or need. We need Joe and Jane American to stand up, to run for office and bring fresh ideas, bring the perspective of what the people living in our country are facing. Then we need to get them out of office, lest they become part of the endless cycle of Washington swamp creatures. Okay, since today has been maybe a little bit on the dire side, I want to end with some good news. A story that will uplift your spirits. This story comes from Texas. It's about a teen who saw 
um, a uh, struggling grandmother with her grandchildren and paid for their groceries. Now I'll put the link in the description box to this article. It's a story of Maria Balboa, who's a 19-year-old Texas A&M student and a beggar at a local HEB grocery store. Now, on March 28th, an older Hispanic woman and two children approached her checkout line, and Maria re retells a story like this. She says, At the time, I did not know they were her grandkids, Maria told the Epic Times. She was using a SNAP card to pay for the groceries, and it stated it only had $19 left on it. Hearing this, the woman was completely unaware and shocked to know that she only had that much money left on her card. She said she would have to put all the groceries back besides a few items for dinner. Maria asked the cashier for the outstanding sum, which was $137. And Maria said this. She said, immediately, something told me to pay for the groceries. Despite the fact that the sum was a stretch for me. I felt something telling me to pay and it would not stop. My heart hurt for this woman and especially the two kids. I wanted them to have the groceries. So that's Maria's story. I mean, wow, just absolutely wow. This is a college student who admitted herself that paying for those groceries were a stretch for her. But she gave of herself to do so, to make someone's day a bit brighter, to make sure those kids got to eat not just dinner that night, but, you know, for whoever knows how long that the, the grandmother was buying groceries for, maybe a week, I don't know. But but she gave of herself. She gave of, uh, of what little she had to make someone's day brighter, to make sure these kids could eat. Also, with this, and, and this is the part I love probably the most about this, Maria didn't go blasting it all over social media or go telling a bunch of people about it. She didn't go and say, look what this, look at this great thing I did. She didn't post it on social media. Hey, I posted, I, I bought groceries for this grandmother and her, uh, her two kids today. She was humble about it. She, she paid, she, she, she paid for the groceries. She went about her business then. She just went on with her day within, went on with her life, happy to have, just been able to help someone in need. Now, it gets better for Maria. The story gets better for her. I mean, it's a pretty good story for her already, but um, showing that, that the impact that you can have on somebody. She, like I said, Maria just went off, thought of nothing of it, went about her business. So the grandmother sent in a customer survey to Maria's bosses. Now, I'll read a little bit of it uh, here. It says this, today I went to HEB with my two grandboys who were left with me overnight by their mother. I had to change my whole life around for them, having to take lower paying job to be able to keep my grandkids so the system wouldn't take them into foster care. It has been rough for us. Money is beyond tight. The young lady offered to pay for our food. I had to hold tears back for my grandkids to not see me cry. I mean, that's that that just tells you how much Maria touched this this woman and, and these two kids. I mean, just, what a wonder, what a wonderful story! Not and stories we don't hear enough about. So Maria's managers were also extremely touched by her generosity, so much so that they reimbursed her the $137, and gave her a gift basket to show their appreciation. Uh, totally unexpected, totally, you know, Maria didn't go seeking this. She, she just was humble, went about her business, and, and more good things followed. Maria is doing it right, in my opinion. She didn't go looking for rewards. She didn't do it for the rewards. She didn't do it so her... Her bosses would reimburse her for it. She did it because there was someone in need. She didn't go looking to have her story told. She didn't go blast it on social media right away. Since it came out in the paper, she has since been sharing this. Understandable. But she's she, at this point, she's not sharing it just, uh, you know, say, look at me. She's sharing it as a story of, uh, of hope and how we can uplift each other. Maria didn't go checking to see if that grandmother's worldview completely with hers 
She saw a fellow citizen in need and took action. Now, it's the little things that will brighten the day of anyone. And it's the humble nature with which we go about it that makes it special. If we go looking for rewards, it means nothing. If we just go and do something because someone's in need, you know, I think we find that much more rewarding. Maria understands this. She understands that it's just helping somebody without recognition, you know, is the reward in itself because, you know, it really, it makes you feel better. It makes, you got to brighten someone's day. Whether somebody sees it or not, there's always one person that sees it. God always sees it. He knows. He sees what's going on. You're building your rewards that way. Now, I'll end today's show with this. And it's with Maria's words because she says it way better than I ever could. So Maria said this. It doesn't have to cost you $137. Being a genuine and kind person costs nothing. It can be something small, like holding the door open for someone. Small actions like these are what make the world go round. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.